Hello guys, welcome back to Ragnarsson Invest Podcast. Our today's guest is Hannah Leach from Venture ESG. Hannah, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, pleasure as always. Uh, venture ESG is a community for investors, uh, venture capital mostly, that focus on ESG. That's quite uh, straightforward. Uh, if you can uh, maybe um, tell a little bit uh, more details, uh, what does the community actually do? Yeah, so um, I have two. I actually have two day jobs. So one is um, I'm, my main job is I'm a partner at a new London-based venture firm called Hatton Street Ventures, and the other is that I'm one of the co-founders of Venture ESG. And the only reason I think it's important to say that is I think having a, a perspective of an investor in running an organisation like Venture ESG is quite key. So as you said, we're a, a year old. We're a non-profit organisation that was founded to support VCs with implementing um, better practices when it comes to operating in a responsible, sustainable and inclusive way, and also making sure that they invest in that way too and support companies in being responsible, sustainable and inclusive. And I guess an important point to note, as I think you said, is a community of ESG investors, but we, we kind of try and reframe it. So we say we're a community for any investor. So for mainstream investors, for climate impact investors, for kind of investors invest, putting money into social impact businesses, we believe that every kind of VC should be operating in an ESG aligned way. And that just makes common, it's just common sense and it's a hygiene factor. So we try and appeal to um, all types of venture funds, even if they you know don't see themselves as investing in a sustainable fashion. You have conversations with such investors almost daily, probably. So uh, you learn a lot from their own experience as well. What would you say is the biggest motivation for them to follow the ESG path? Besides, obviously, regulations, which force them to do that. But uh, um, there are those decisions, how deep you go into. And what would you say are the motivation for investors to really go um, into into the, the sustainability path? Yeah, I think there are a number of different factors kind of driving a change in behavior on this front. I mean, you mentioned the first one, so regulation, whether that's SFDR or the EU taxonomy, you know, that's really coming down the line and affecting fund managers, not to the same extent in the US, which is perhaps why you get a a difference in, in behavior. But we often find that this initiative is being driven from the ground up and it's not necessarily being driven by regulatory pressure or LP pressure. I think the whole dynamic around venture has slightly changed in general. Um, You know, the the mantra of grow fast and break things and scale at all cost isn't, um, isn't as strong as it has once been. And I think in the past, there have been lots of examples of companies that have executed on that basis and have kind of misperformed or had missteps, whether that you know, is highlighted around Me Too movements or Black Lives Matter or just treating employees really badly or implementing kind of poor governments, governance practices. You know, take the examples of kind of WeWork and Uber and Google or some that have perhaps had issues or even recent cases of of Meta and, um, you know, Pinterest with the online safety bill and how their products have been kind of potentially harming children. So I think a lot of these examples and cases have come to the forefront and have um, come you know been highlighted in, in in the media and I think now there's a lot more scrutiny public scrutiny on how companies behave as you know tech companies how they behave as they scale um, and I think this is affecting consumer habits so consumers are increasingly deciding to buy products that align with their values you know the rise of the Corp movement is a is a fairly good example of that I think Waitrose, in, do you know Waitrose, the UK, you know, um, 
grocers grocery shop has like a beacon aisle online on their online shop um and then you've got employees within funds so we actually did a survey last year in partnership with the pri um uh, surveying venture funds to see how they were operating and what were the drivers for that and it turns out that employees are one of the biggest factors so employees increasingly have more agency and a, a stronger voice and are holding their employers to account and i think that applies in funds and in companies you know they're not, no longer sitting there they're kind of saying we've noticed this we don't like this we want change whether that's you know things like shared parental leave or better working conditions or, or better pay or you know whatever it may be so um yeah i think there are a whole host of factors kind of making venture funds and venture fund managers kind of reflect on their practices and when you give those examples, um, do you think is uh, some sort of concern of the reputation that investors might end up with, or just they realized that companies need to be more sustainable and not to follow this attitude of growing fast at all cost? Well, I think, I mean, reputational risk is definitely there. Unfortunately, I think the dynamics of the venture capital industry mean that founders always want money. And VCs always have money. And, you know, you look at um, examples of US top tier funds who aren't implementing these practices and people still desperately want to take their money. So we're not at that point yet. Um, but I think that it's generally people are generally coming around to the idea that good um, behavior or when it comes to ESG does drive long term growth and performance. And we hope that 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 data that we can glean on venture capital and early stage companies over the next five, 10 years will really paint that picture. You know, take a, take the one example of, um, so I get onto this after, but we've built this framework or universe of issues as we call it. And one of the sec one of the sections is focused on team and working environment. So you look at how you're treating your your um, team members and your employees. Are they are they content? Are they happy? Do they feel like their values are reflected in the organisation? Do they um, are they are you pushing them to work all hours of the day, or do they feel like they have a balance? Um, do they feel motivated? Do they feel um, adequately compensated? Do they have you know option plans, etc. If you put all of these things in place, that ultimately, ultimately means that your employees are going to be happier at work. You know, they're going to probably be more productive. They're going to communicate better with their team members. The general working environment is going to be more positive, which will reduce your churn. You know, you'll have greater retention, so more productive as well, which can only drive your, your bottom line in the long term. So I think it's helping people understand what we're doing and that these are drivers of long-term company growth. And it's not just some simple kind of add-on thing that we're making them do because we have to report to RLPs or regulation dictates that. So speaking about the reporting, um, you mentioned that uh, you work with different investors who might have different approaches to ESG and the kind of um, metrics and... Um, um, yeah, the original question was much better. <laughs> we'll just use the, the first one. Um, so in the fundraising process, I want to raise money from different investors. They all have different approaches to ESG. And what's the best way for me as a founder to prepare for a conversation with different investors to be able to explain my hypothesis and um, an approach to, to ESG? It's a, it's, yeah, it's an interesting point you raise. I think um, when it comes to fundraising as a founder you're unlikely to be um you might be sent a 
DD, an ESG questionnaire to fill in. It's not something we advocate, to be honest. I don't think you can glean the best, you can't get the best insight on how a founder is thinking about these issues from getting them to fill in a 20 or 40 page, 40 question document. Like That's not the best way. The best way is to have a, a frank and simple conversation with them and say, you know, this is what we believe. How Have you thought about, you know, what your company looks like in 10 years? Have you thought about the adverse impacts? of your business model you know if there are any inconsistencies that you see you surface them or if you identify things that are most material to that company that could be an issue you ask the founder how they're thinking about it you know have they thought about it how are they going to mitigate it have they put any processes in place it's like a simple example is if you have a you know team three white male founders are they aware that they have a little bit of a diversity issue how have they thought about it are they making sure that the next person they hire they're going to increase their their pool of candidates and etc so i think it's a through conversationally that's how you how founders can best approach it i think the issue of reporting is more complicated once some a fund has invested maybe before we go into into reporting after the investment uh just to just to clarify one thing uh do you, do you mean that it works that way regardless of the stage a startup is in? Yeah, I mean, we know um, late, stage found, late stage funds who have the same approach to this. Okay, and le- it, late it, stage in the sense of Series B, like Series C? Series or, B, C. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, as you said, every fund is going to have their own way of doing things. And it may be that they get sent a questionnaire to fill in. But ultimately, if a founder is thinking about this has thought about it then it shouldn't be a it shouldn't be an issue like i don't want to um like teach founders how to game the system right like there's no like trick here like it's it's essentially trying to understand if they haven't thought about it which is very realistic lots of founders won't have thought about this it's actually being able to communicate in the right way to that founder and how the founder reacts you know talking to a um an e-com business in africa that's connecting gen z with with new clothing brands like how are they selecting those clothing brands what's the sustainability credentials of that of those clothing brands what do their supply chains look like how ethical are they are they being paid properly like these are very com- like common sense questions and it's totally about how the founder reacts the founder can say look that's actually not something we thought about given our stage but you make a really good point and and actually we'd love your support in figuring out how we go about that process and that would be a perfectly you know decent approach and answer so the more more common scenario is that even though founder didn't think about it before started talking to investors they will could still invest with a promise of this founder to to think and act after the investment with their support if we were only investing in companies where founders had thought about <laughs> ESG before investment then we wouldn't really be making very many investments I think is is what it, yeah, it's, it's, it is about, um, just as you build a relationship with the founder on other areas, this is an area that you build a relationship with the founder. And I think we as venture funds have to be cognizant of the fact that, um, founders, this is new to them. We need to be able to communicate in a, in a way that they can understand. Like we maybe shouldn't even use the term ESG, you know, we should break it down and look at the businesses that they're building and the products that they're rolling out and actually put it in the language of those products and businesses and make it see that it's make them see that it's not an add-on. It's not a tick box. It's just part and parcel of the way that they operate today. They just need to slightly reframe it. So at a fundraising uh, stage, it's more of an open conversation to see to what extent founders have thought about it. There are no, no, not spe- no specific requirements or 
uh, forms that needs to be filled. So I'm saying I'm saying that that's what we advocate. Okay. I'm not by any means speaking on behalf of the hundreds of VC funds out there who I think in many instances would send out a, a form. We're just trying to tell funds that that's not the it's not the way it's not the best way of doing things. Are there any uh, signals, so to say, uh, that founder can look at while talking to an investor that claims to be SG focused or sustainable focused that could tell him that the investor himself is not really taking it seriously? Um, because quite often there might be situation that someone is uh, is claiming one, acting differently, not actually following the the promise of uh, focusing on an ESG. Is there any certain way to also do the due diligence from the founder perspective of the investor? Yeah, I mean it's a really it's a really good question, and it's totally something that founders should do. You know, like I would just for start look at the makeup of the team. How diverse is the is the VC's team? That's you know, if a if a VC is asking you about the diversity of your team, you can definitely ask that question in return. <laughs> if they're um, you can look at their portfolio companies, see what examples, what companies they've invested in, and maybe pick out a couple and say, you know, I noticed that this 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 company is doing something that could be seen as slightly non ESG or slightly you know, treads that fine ethical line. Like how have you how have you approached that? How have you worked with them? Like get them to talk of case studies. And then if you, you know, if you want to push them, say, look, I, I understand that this is how you're thinking about it, but we're fresh to this. How are you going to help us? You know, that classic question that, you know, founders ask VCs, how can you support us? What's your value add? There's no reason why you can't push that back and say, we don't know about good governance or, you know, how to monitor our supply chain or think about how responsible our product design is and the ethical considerations. But how are you going to help us? And if a fund goes, uh, well, uh, you know, then it's probably not a great sign. So let's say we finalize the deal. Uh, we asked both sides, asked good questions. Uh, they like each other. They like the answers. How does it look like uh, during the reporting phase when, when investors collaborate with founders to, to grow the company? Well, a lot of... Um, there's a step before that lots of funds will put an ESG clause in the term sheet or the long docs which may stipulate that a fund a founder or team needs to commit to x and y over a period of time whether that be quite loose around you know you some some funds have quite loose report um term sheet clauses other others have more specific ones depending on the company and and the sector they're investing in but that could be one thing would you be able Um, to give us some examples well, it could just be um, commit to um, setting some goals and KPIs for ESG over the next six months and when reporting them on an annual basis. It could be something as loose as that. And then in a post-investment um, process, you would work with the company to set what those KPIs and goals are. It's hard to make term sheet clauses very specific when it's when each company is different. Um, but if it's a climate impact fund, there'd probably be a piece there on... Um, mapping your carbon mapping your climate impact and in even setting kind of targets um i i get quite frustrated with the reporting question i have to say um i feel like there's so much emphasis on the reporting piece which is really comes at the end yes we need to report but there's so much work that needs to be done before in terms of how investment teams communicate how 
how a VC funds team even understand what ESG is and why they're doing it. There's so much more culturally on a fund level, on a company level, that to focus too much on reporting is just, it, it just turns the whole conversation into a tick box exercise, which is what it's not. We're trying to change the way that funds behave and companies operate. And I get that reporting is a very realistic concern and it's a time, it impacts kind of resources and capacity for companies. But I don't think it's what we should be preoccupied with. That being said, there is a there is a concern, right, that I take money from two funds in one round. I then bring on another two funds in the next round. And each of these funds have a different, as you said, framework and a different questionnaire that I have to report to. And we come across this the whole, all the time. You know, how do we how and they're also using different platforms. I've got four different ESG reporting platforms that I have to log on to create a profile. And it's, it's crazy. Like this is crazy and it's only going to get worse. Um, and I don't think us as a community or even an initiative necessarily have the answer for this and we need to see how it plays out. But we need to ensure that VC funds have these conversations with each other. You know, you have your conversa- the conversation with your co-investor around this and you try and minimise the impact on a company, whether that be around better sharing of data, um, like deciding on a standard set of questions that all funds are going to ask and then there may be a bit more nuance. Um, but being clear on like these are the 15, 20 questions that we need you to report on and our three co-investors are going to ask the same questions or getting these platforms to build APIs and share and share data between them. Um, so there are lots of and, and you know what the funny thing is, is that this isn't just a issue for companies reporting to their VCs. This is an issue for VCs reporting to their LPs. And in, in that instance, it's probably a lot worse because the LP questionnaires are painful and extremely long <laughs> and you know one one of our uh, one of the funds in our community said I, I keep getting this number wrong but it's something like she counted all of the ESG questions that she got from LPs and it came up to like 491 slightly different questions so the the way I understand it is that in your opinion the ESG knowledge is not standardized to the degree that uh, we have common knowledge that we can easily understand what what both sides mean by saying this or that, and the reporting is okay. It's 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 obviously it's important, but first we need to really know what we are talking about and actually implement those things, and then there comes the reporting part. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I think you need to think about how you're integrating. Like we always say to funds, do you have an ESG policy? Start of a ten. An ESG policy lays out how you're thinking about ESG in the fund, what it means to you, how are you defining it, how are you integrating it across your fund level and your investment process. Only then do you know where you need to start thinking about it. And then start small. Like we we had a conversation with a fund last week, you know, maybe you want to start by um, having a 30 minute conversation with a founder during screening and then a 30 minute conversation post investment. And, you, and that's how you start. You start having these conversations, you start seeing how founders are reacting, what questions are coming up, what, you know, um, what, the, what questions repeat, come up repeatedly amongst the founders. And then on the back of that, you can actually maybe change the way that you communicate, change the approach. Like start, really start small, but instead of just saying, oh, we've downloaded this template questionnaire and we're going to send it to them and we're going we're gonna to store it on our, in our database... And then we're going to send it around in a year's time. Like that just reduces everything to just a, a tick box exercise, which isn't really going to do anything, change anything. 
So there are good practices on how to manage the, the pre-reporting phase, but I'm also interested in what's happening after, because I think that's also kind of a um, way of thinking that, okay, I reported, I'm clear, I can focus on the business, but that's, again, not how it should work. After reporting, there should be this phase of thinking about it, collaboration between investor and the founder on how to improve the situation, how to analyze what the report said, how to implement improvements, etc., etc. Does it happen often or it's still more like reporting, I'm done, let's, let's focus on something else? I mean, we're, we're talking about what people are doing, but I think, you know, we need to acknowledge that we're really early on in this journey and people are just getting started. So I wouldn't say as of yet that there's examples of pure best practice across the board you know, some funds have really focused on figuring out the uh, the de- working on the DEI piece and supporting founders with with that um, other funds have really gone deep on the the climate piece helping helping companies understand their carbon footprint and and in, in a sense it's easy to quantify you know there, there are numbers there it's it's easy to report off that um, so I think that's okay to start to start small um, I've totally forgotten what your question was. <laughs> I, know, I know, wait, portfolio, port, like portfolio support, right? Mm-hmm. As in once you've invested, how are you helping companies? Uh, Is that what? Yes, but also from the founder perspective, like he reported to all of his investors, whatever they requested him to report and how to act on what was included in the report. Um, so this is why... Uh, investment teams need to really understand the businesses and the business models and the, the things that are most material and pertinent so that's why again like so many questions that you ask are just not relevant that's why we don't advocate b Corp, right like the b Corp, so many of the questions are just not fit they're not suited to, to the company so you want to figure out what questions are most material to that business and then actually help them understand that and work with them on those few things I think it's that's what it's all about. Investment teams need to, um, in, on a case by case basis, understand what things are that company could be doing better, and then work with them to understand where their gaps are. And 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 the, and the reporting process should facilitate that. It should provide the fund with the information on what the company's doing well, what the company's not doing well, where their blind spots are, how they benchmark against their peers, you know, and then help them identify the key things that. Yeah, need to be worked on over a six-month annual period. That should be the ultimate aim of, of reporting. Uh, just just one thing that you mentioned that you you don't advocate a B Corp. Um, do you have in mind just blind just copying their questions and and asking asking them to to founders or um, that not every company should become a, a B Corp? I shouldn't. I, I guess I shouldn't be so negative. Which we're, we're generally like framework agnostic. Like if we're doing a session with B Corp in a few weeks, like if if a fund wants to be B Corp aligned and have their company's bit, then by all means, great. But we just don't. B Corp has not been designed for VC funds and fast-growing, rapidly scalable tech companies. It's, it hasn't. It's been you know I could be a marketing agency, um, I could be a consumer goods company I could be any company and I could go through B Corp so we're trying to make venture funds a bit more aware of the of the issues that are most relevant to the types of businesses they're investing in and that's what our universe of issues as we call our framework is aimed at doing and we're doing kind of addendums for biotech and life sciences so you're investing in biotech and life sciences here's some add-on things that you need to think about in addition to our framework and we're doing the same with crypto um 
and AI ethics as well. Um, and hopefully we'll expand that on, you know, have an emerging market lens. Um, but I think, I think B Corp is pretty, pretty wide ranging. It covers a lot of issues. And I think if you're, if you're a consumer facing company, like you're, a, you're, um, is it who gives a crap? Is that the, the Lou roll? The um, toilet roll company. I don't know why that came to mind. But if you're if you're selling products to consumers, I think B Corp is you know is is a good thing to do. It definitely kind of makes your the sustainability of your brand clearer. But if you're a B two B SaaS company, it, you don't need to do the B Corp. Is my feeling. Yeah. So general advice is to to adjust whatever framework or whatever uh, questions you're getting uh, or you're sending over to adjust it to the type of a business you're talking to. But also another learning from the conversation I have from you is that we have to share our experience and we have to learn from each other and share the good practices. And that's what you do with uh, with uh, Venture ESG and your community. And I'm t- interested really about your experience from building a community because um, there are plenty of businesses that are uh, based as well on, on the community aspect. And I'm curious if you can tell a couple of examples of what surprised you on the way and what worked better than you expected when it comes to, to building a community impact-driven, shared the same value, shared the same uh, goal at the end, so that definitely helped. Was there anything else? Um, so I think the first the first thing, the surprise, is that the like the community took off as it did. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty nuts. I don't think... I, I remember back in December 2020, early 2021, we were like, well, we'll set up a coalition of a few funds and we'll, you know, get together and we'll figure out what, what best practice looks like. We'll learn from each other. And then gradually we were like, maybe we should turn this into a thing and then we turn it into a thing. And then, you know, since July last year, we're now at about 400 VC fund members globally. And, you know, we've rolled out a paid membership plan, which we've converted about 90-ish funds to. Um, and on the other side, we have a um, a LP community. But I think what's really been a surprise is just the the pace of growth and the extent to which VC funds are interested. Like it's it's bonkers to me. Um, and in terms of like, what do you say? What's worked well? What's worked well? Oh dear, God. Um, I mean, something. <laughs> Everything. Something. That's something, clear, something clearly has worked well. Um, I think funds are or people generally are really open to sharing. Like they want to learn from each other. And that's, I think in many ways, the VC community, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, can be quite competitive, you know, all for, all for oneself. <laughs> Just um, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, this isn't, and this isn't what we're trying to do here. You know, we're really trying to build knowledge and, and enable people to share that knowledge and bring in peer support. And I really think that's the only way that things are going to change is if people are open to, to, to talking and sharing. Um, so I think providing a forum where that's enabled has been has been really positive. And we've done that in a variety of ways through kind of online sessions, through matching our community for one on one conversations with, you know, based on specific challenges that they're facing. We do we host small dinners in different parts of the world um, for about 20 to 30 people where we create kind of it sounds silly, but like a safe space, you know, Chatham House rule, like people can say what they want and share what they want um, in an open way. So I think creating those kind of unique spaces for people based on who they are and what issues they're faced with um, 
is 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 yeah is has been, has proved to be kind of very positive in how the community is shaped. But you know what? I'm constantly concerned that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and everyone's going to be like, "This is terrible," and we're leaving, <laughs> and you're not providing us with any value. So I think constantly, like finding a way to constantly be attuned to what your community need and how they're interacting is and having that insight is really important because you need that's what that's why we exist we exist to help our, our community members and if they're not getting anything out of it then we should not be around anymore <laughs> i think you can sleep well uh, i can <laughs> recommend from my own experience i truly enjoyed the one-on-one -on -one <laughs> sessions i found a lot of value there so sleep well uh. <laughs> thanks what a relief <laughs> Hannah, thank you so much for sharing your insight. Uh, we spoke uh, about different motivations of, of investors to adopt uh, ESG policies, uh, also about the fundraising uh, part and reporting, how to interact with ESG in investors uh, from the perspective of a founder, and at the very end uh, about the community aspect and uh, how to leverage leverage it to, to make your organization successful. Thank you so much uh, for being with us today and sharing all the insights. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Hannah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you want to stay up to date with Impact Startup Scene and hear directly from startup founders and investors, sign up for Ragnarsson Invest newsletter at ragnarsson.com slash ri or click the link in the description.